This is the I Read Comic Book Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. This week, I am joined by two fire ants with murder on their mind, Kate Lamphere. Hi. And Paul Jaceley. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited to talk to you about comic books because it is episode 265. We're mm. doing that thing now where we list the number of the episode that we're on. But, you know, because we're here to talk about comic books, it means that I am legally mandated to ask you two questions. And that is, how have you been and how have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I've been good. I read something that kind of blew me away, and it's going to be really difficult to talk about because the reasons are all spoilers. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm just going to get right into it because I'm really passionate about this title, um, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is this is Two Year Eternity Volumes 1 and 2. It's by Oshitoko Oima, and I picked these up at the library the last time I was physically in the building months ago, and I finally read them. And I grabbed these on a whim, just based on the cover art, beautiful covers. Um, and after reading volume one, I probably wouldn't have sought out volume two if it wasn't already in my living room, because hmm. volume one is heartbreaking. <laughs> and then volume <laughs> two is still heartbreaking, but it's beautiful. And now I have to have more of the story. And I'm so glad that they had volume two and I grabbed it. Um, uh kind of a, a, a loose summary of the beginning of, of volume one is that this orb falls to earth and then it has some limited shape sh- shifting abilities, but it, it spends literally eons as a rock. And then one day it interacts with this wolf in some way and it takes on the wolf's form. And then it spends days figuring out just how to walk in this body. Um, and then it finds this boy living in an otherwise abandoned village and the boy is optimistic and excited. And, and then there's a panel where his face falls and you see that he recognizes how bad his situation is. Hmm. But like before this happens, you have at least a chapter of this manga that you spend with this boy. And he's just like this beautiful, wholesome person. He's making the best of his life. Um, But eventually this, this being previously known as orb has to move on and he takes the form of the boy and spends days figuring out how to walk in that body but it's really it's kind of funny um because he clearly doesn't know how to handle this new form he kind of looks like like a zombie he's all hunched like his mouth is open and he's drooling he doesn't really know how to eat but he knows that he needs to eat um so eventually he finds this other village and he's taken in by this young girl who's again optimistic and excited and she's chosen to be sacrificed by her village to the local god. So oh, what? <laughs> volume Kate, one. What the fuck is this book? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's like, oh no! Like he's, you know, um, I'm just heartbroken when I finish volume one, and I'm like, maybe I'm not going to read volume two. Maybe this is just going to go straight back to the library. I'm going to ignore the fact that I ever read this and had my heart broken um, <clears throat> by mm-hmm. these secondary characters. They're not even the protagonists of the story. Um, so anyway, so I, I read volume two anyway, and it starts with um, I, it, or the, be, the being in this book really starts to become a character in their own story in volume two. And I spent um, a volume a, and it spends a volume and a half just existing among these other vibrant characters who up, are up against like insurmountable odds. And then halfway through the volume, this being finally reacts to what's happening around them. And it's like a game changer. But then, of course, volume two ends on a cliffhanger. So, like, I'm finally, like, this book finally hooks me. 
and then and then there's a cliffhanger and now like my my library only has one more volume and this has been like kind of a hard book to find so i might just have to start like ordering these books and collecting them Mm -hmm. Hmm. i i remember seeing this on like the shelves at midtown comics like a long time ago uh must have been when the book was first starting to come out and it was being promoted and i remember picking it up and being like this looks this looks kind of lame. Like I skimmed through it and I was like, this, this is not for me. But to hear that it's actually like super solid, that's maybe I'll, you know, once, once One Piece is done, you know, I could read anything. So <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll read this series. This, we'll see. This kind of <laughs> reminded me of, of the girl from the other side that you and I both like. But I mean, oh it's more complex uh, in terms of world building and like, uh, okay. the protect, like who the main character kind of is. Um, mm-hmm. But it's kind of equally as... as um, I don't know, like, like you think that you're reading one thing and then it turns out that you're reading something totally different. <laughs> Interesting. Well, uh, I'll, I'll put it on my list. Forever yeah. books to read. Uh, I mean, we'll like see. Like I said, volume, t- volume one, uh, just be prepared to go, just go right into volume two. <laughs> like just... Okay. Okay. So if I'm going to read it, just pick up all 12 volumes that are available right yeah. now. So I just <laughs> okay. Good to know. Paul, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Uh, I've been good. Um, the, for those curious, the West Michigan weather report, uh, it's been pretty gray and uh, gloomy outside all weekend. We had a lot of rain yesterday, a brief hint of snow, which means, you know, it's it's finally becoming winter here in West mm-hmm. Michigan, um, which is the perfect time of year to just stay inside and read a bunch of comics. Uh, thankfully, I have weeks worth of comics that I haven't touched yet. They're piling up around, so I'll have time to finally dig into those, it sounds like. Nice. Um, a few of the things I've read this week that I wanted to talk about, uh, one of which uh, is Blue in Green, which was an OGN that Image published last month. Um, mm-hmm. It's written by Ram V with art by Anand R.K. and colors by John Pearson. I saw this book being hyped all over Twitter, so I thought yeah. there was like a big like push for it. I realized I followed all of those creators on social media. So it's like self-promotion, but still, it was like ever every time yeah. I go on Twitter, I see a, a panel from this book or the cover. So um, I found it on Hoopla and decided to give it a shot. Um, it's a book about jazz, uh, sort of a horror mystery type story about a teacher who uh, – a jazz musician who teaches music theory at a college, um, wanted to be a performer, but never really had the chops or commitment to do it. And then um, – He has to return to his childhood home after his mother passes away and going through her old files, he finds a clue that unlocks a deeper mystery, a dark secret about his past and his mother's past. It turns into, uh, without giving too much away, it turns into this sort of familiar story of the uh, Faustian bargain that Robert... The the Robert Johnson story where, you know, a musician trades their soul for the gift of music, you know, that, right. that sort of right. familiar old story. Um, in that regard, I felt it was a little thin story-wise. Um, the way it sort of unfolds feels predictable. Luckily, though, the book is so visually stunning that I'm able to overlook a lot of these sort of shortcomings of the story. This is one mm-hmm. of the best-looking books I read all year. It kind of looks the way jazz sounds, if that makes sense. Uh, the <laughs> sure. color palette is a lot of like cool like colors, but there's be a blast of neon in the background or there's mm-hmm. passages of the book that are flashbacks. The artwork is in sepia tone, but the artwork is also a little bit blurrier. So it looks like a faded memory. Just the way that they use color and the page layout to tell the story is fascinating. Um, 
Anand R.K., his style is sort of sketchy and loose, but painterly. So it definitely has, I mean, the most obvious um, comparison is Bill Sienkiewicz, but it's like you sure. know, full page sure. compositions in that. There's some mixed media stuff, collage type images. There's moments where it is a musical performance and it literally looks like the way music would sound, particularly that, that type of jazz. So in terms of a comic, I think it's worth reading because it's so visually stunning and interesting. I just kind of wish the story was more engaging, you know, to match that. So. Gotcha. The art, just looking at it, also reminds me of Martin Simmons, who's on that Department of Truth mm-hmm. book with James Tinian right now. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Very, very, like visually stunning stuff. Very different than what you would expect coming from, you know, the majority of comic books, especially, you know, <laughs> Big Two and stuff. Uh, I picked oh, yeah. this up as well. I haven't had a chance to read it, but I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it, at least from an art perspective. Yeah, I definitely think it's worth a read. I think it's an important book and just in terms of visual storytelling. Um, but, you know, your mileage may vary in terms of the story. So I, I was worried. I was thinking that this book was going to be like a, a history of the song by Miles Davis. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was going to be just like this really interesting like biography about like, you know, Miles Davis and how he created the song. <laughs> but to hear that it's actually like a... <laughs> A horror book, like because this is this is how little research I do on books sometimes, where I just go, oh, sure. that looks really pretty. Rom V, that's a that's a name I know. I'll just buy it and yeah. not think about it. And like <laughs> that's not even remotely what the book was about. So okay, let's just run with it. But I mean, it is well, about it, still about music, still about jazz, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is about jazz, and it is it definitely. Uh, you know, I feel like maybe my experience might have been enhanced if I've been listening to some jazz while I read it. You may, maybe you may, could curate a gotcha. soundtrack to go with it, which would work. Um, I, I admittedly not as much of a jazz fan. So I wouldn't know what to recommend, but, um, okay. okay. But yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, when it turned into a horror story, I didn't expect that, but then where it goes, I felt like there was some, some missed opportunity to kind of, uh, play with that story, that familiar Faustian sort of story. So mm-hmm. cool. Anyway, uh, um, on the other hand, the other book I read, I enjoyed absolutely, uh, was the other history of the DC universe. Number one, this is the first part of a five-issue limited series that DC is doing as a part of their Black Label imprint. It's written by John mm. Ridley, who's probably best known for writing the screenplay for 12 Years a Slave. Um, the art is by Giuseppe Kemencoli and Andrea Cucci. Colors by Jose Villarubia. And um, like the title suggests, this is an alternate history of the DC universe, basically told through the perspective of the characters of color, minority characters who often don't get the spotlight of their own books. And this first issue is told from the perspective of Jefferson Pierce, AKA Black Lightning. And what I really enjoyed about it is that it's not so much a comic origin story. It literally is that character doing a narration, almost like a diary telling you about their experience. So you get an origin story told from the firsthand experience. And then you also get Black Lightning looking at other heroes and like seeing like, yeah, Superman's saving the planet, but he's not doing anything about the drug dealers in my neighborhood. Or, you know, I'm looking Mm. at the Justice League and they're not doing anything to prevent these major world events. You know, there's references to real world historical events that the Justice League didn't intervene with. So, and you get, you know, so that, that idea of you getting a perspective on important moments in the DC history and other characters from a perspective that you don't normally get is really, really interesting. And because of the way it's published, it's one of the larger magazine-sized comics that DC's been doing. And it oh, takes nice. advantage of that. Oh, oh, that's, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> it is cool because they really take advantage of that. Because it's not a traditional comic, there's not dialogue. 
in it. It really is like a prose piece with illustrations. So you get these beautiful double page spreads of iconic moments in DC history that are being recreated by the artwork artists in these dynamic layouts. Like it's not, it doesn't look like a typical comic book and it's almost better because of that. It's almost more engaging because you feel like you're in that character's perspective rather than just reading it from the other side, you know, or observing it. So Gotcha. It really stood out to me. I think it's a really amazing looking book. I, I'm very excited to see what the other uh, chapters will be because I think it's going to be each volume is going to be a different character. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, even if you're not a well versed in DC continuity or DC history, I think it's well worth tracking down, especially a physical copy because you want to see it in this size when it's uh, just get the full glory of it. So. I was yep. excited for this book when it was announced, and I'm really glad it delivered for me on every front. So, Yeah, just looking at the preview pages, it looks beautiful. I also should mention it features a brief cameo, one of my favorite minor DC characters, Peter Gamby, the uh, the tailor who makes outfits for all the supervillains. It's a character that you never <laughs> see show up. So anytime Peter Gamby shows up in a comic, I get very excited. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, well, for me, I have been busy nonstop. It was such a weird week uh, where I just every single day during the week, I just didn't have time to do anything. And of course, I'm exhausted by the time like I'm actually I actually have free time. So the last thing I want to do is watch or read anything or like really do anything that's engaging. So, you know, I just put on the dumbest show in the world that I can think of, which is uh, on cinema um, from Adult Swim. <laughs> Tim Heidecker. So if you haven't watched that, don't, because it is it is honestly the dumbest thing I've seen in a long time. Uh, but in the best of ways, it's like six minutes an episode, six to eight minutes an episode where these two guys, Tim Heidecker and another guy whose name I can't remember, you know, they talk Greg about Turkington. movies. Yeah. And Greg Turkington, and they talk yeah. about movies, but they don't talk about them at all because neither. <laughs> it's just it's so absurd, and so I've been watching just a lot of that, and uh, so I haven't read a lot of comics, but I did read two books. And two chapters of One Piece, because, you know, I gotta. But um, <laughs> I sat down and read Clue the other day uh, for our Discord book club that we do every other week. So if you're not there, you know, come in, listen live, like we're recording this episode live. But also we do a book club. And our good friend Aaron picked this book, Clue, which is by Paul Aller and Nelson uh, Danielle. I'm going to say like that because he's got a weird, he's got a thing <laughs> over the A. Um, and so I, I think a few weeks back or a few months back, I was shit talking this book because I couldn't believe that it came out. Uh, I couldn't believe that there was a comic book based on the clue like board game um, or movie or whatever it was going to be. And uh, like I said, I don't do research apparently. So I didn't really know what it was even going to be about, but it was actually kind of a wacky and fun book. I mean, like when it comes to like book club stuff, I'm never going to say, no, I'm not going to read that. It sounds stupid because what's the point? You know, the, the goal of a book club is to, you know, try new things. So I sat down and read this and the art was beautiful. Like some of the more most impressive art i've seen in a while on like a random throwaway five issue miniseries from from idw um the 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 whole story is super meta it gets way in its head about what it is that the butler of the series is he's aware of everything he's very omniscient he's very uh like he, he is like a kind of a god in some ways but not really he doesn't have influence on the story except for the part where he gets in a fight with idw's editor like in the book so like <laughs> it's a really wacky book that reminds me of something you would see in like a really 
bizarre Deadpool story or, you know, the end of Animal Man or, you know, something where they the writers were just like, yeah, you know, fuck it. Let's just let's have fun with it, which kind of brings into this idea that IDW in some cases really gets away with wild shit with these licensed properties. Right. Like if we look at Transformers versus G.I. Joe's, our go to series of like, how the hell did this get made? (laughs) You look at that and you look at some of the other stuff that I think IDW has done over the past, you know, couple years, uh, maybe decade or so. And you kind of go, holy shit, like how were they able to convince these licensed people or, you know, properties to let them do this? But Clue, this is an example of they did that. And I think the book was way better for it. You know, they could have just told a straightforward like murder mystery, who done it, add some jokes, add some crazy personalities. But instead, they went like two levels beyond that with the insanity. Um, and I think the book is better for it. Like, I think the mystery is kind of thin, like the last two page, last two issues kind of ride a little or run a little bit too long in some ways. But overall, like mm-hmm. there, when the jokes hit, they were really, really good. Um, so if you get a chance, I mean, this is probably worth a hoopla borrow or something. If you can get it from a library um, or yeah. get it on Comixology Unlimited, which is how I read it. Yeah, that actually sounds really interesting. I like Paula Lore as a writer and I've always liked the Clue movie. So, yeah, I'll have to. Uh... Yeah. There's some nods, in, you know, to the movie, to the comic, or to the to the board game and stuff. So yeah, and again, like I, I think what IDW kind of is smartly smartly does is put these type of um, licensed properties in the hands of unique creators. You know what I mean? Definitely. People that are willing to take a chance and kind of are a little left of field, you know, in a lot of ways. So if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, this book has is more fun than it deserves to be, and I think that you know if you if you've got a, f- a few extra borrows in a month, I think this is a good read. Uh, cool. The other book that I want to talk about really quick, and it's not going to be really quick because it's a big old book. <laughs> uh, this is Jack Kirby, the Epic Life of the King of Comics. This is Tom Scioli, uh, an unofficial biography that I think Paul talked about a while ago when it first came out. Um, I love this book no surprise i mean tom scioli talking about jack kirby i mean come on there's what's what's to be mad about but i think the thing that really struck me was seeing the whole book written from a first person perspective although it was you know scioli writing the book you know using all of this found footage and all these different things interviews across the board um and kind of piecing together kirby's uh, whole life um, as a part of that, and I think you know Kirby's told a lot of the stories that showed up in the in the um, comic itself. But to see <laughs> it all pieced together, it never felt boring. It never felt dull. It like there was no slowdown. Like when I got to the end of the book, I was like, "Holy shit! How did he go from his kid to a you know a ninety or eighty year old man, or however he old you know when he was when he was passed?" Um, <laughs> the flow of the book is so well done in and that's it's six panels on every page really floored me the way that he was able to deliver such a solid story like that and i think there was like a an influence there on i think he was for a long time scioli was dropping bits and pieces of this book on instagram and the best way to do that is with square images um that's a whole other topic i think we talked to lucy nicely about that um way back at c2e2 she's almost two years ago um yeah. uh, which i think is an interesting thing but uh i i fucking love this book i loved how he portrayed every single moment in Kirby's life as another driving point to continue comics. Like at no point was Kirby not, not thinking about comics, you know? And I, <laughs> I just, I like, he, he, he pointed blame at Stan Lee points, blame at DC editorial points, blame at all these different things. But at no point did Kirby spend, or at least from Scioli's perspective, did he spend time making those problems the focus of his life like he didn't spend his whole life trying to say i'm gonna get you dc or i'm gonna get you stan like those were just roadblocks for him that he found a way an avenue around them in order to continue creating comics so 
I I love this book. I fucking can't believe that everybody in the world isn't sitting down and reading this book. Um, and it's something that I think I'm, I really want to go through again and bookmark different pages because there are some really inspirational moments in Kirby's life that are just like a kick in the pants for somebody. If you're ever feeling like you don't know what to do or everyone's, you know, trying to stop you from doing what you want, like, or, or you just feel uninspired, like Kirby found ways to get around all that stuff. And I, I just loved how forward thinking he was and how forward moving he was always trying to push you know the edge of comics always trying to create something new always trying to blow people's minds with ideas that he would pull from every avenue or every corner in his life yeah i just i fucking loved it that was so it was so well done it was such a great read for like a saturday afternoon which is when i read it yesterday it was just awesome so (laughs) go read this book please (laughs) i'm so glad you liked it mike yeah i mean it's it's interesting because Scioli's artwork is so indebted to Jack Kirby, especially if you read oh, you know, yeah. stuff like Transformers versus G.I. Joe's or the Fantastic Four book. But those or books, Godland book. that's a book. Oof. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. Godland or um, uh, the Myth of Oedipus. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, all that stuff is great, and it's like in this book he tones all that down just to kind of focus on. You know, what I mean, instead of it making look making it look like a Kirby book, it's more focused mm-hmm. on the story, which I thought was really interesting. You know, mm-hmm. even the way he draws Jack, you know, there's a point in the book where he just starts drawing him with those big, oversized, chibi like eyes, the animated cartoon eyes, which is really off putting at first. And realize like that's the way Jack Kirby sees the world. Like he's always right. being filled with right. wonder and inspiration. And it's that cool yeah. little shorthand, which you know, you you're seeing Scioli like not do the big over the top stuff and instead like let me just focus on storytelling you know straightforward yeah. and it's, it's it's interesting it's definitely a book that i've pulled off the shelf randomly and just flipped through you know mm-hmm. when i'm looking for something to read so yeah still yeah yeah this this feels like tom scioli doing box brown you know mm-hmm. about somebody um and i i think that that's great like to see someone with scioli's talents and we know how far and crazy he can get to try to hone it all back to do a really straightforward bio book um is really impressive because i think that like it it shows his love and dedication to this topic um and how much he wanted to make sure that he told the right story without getting bombastic about it um you know because he could have had like a sequence where it's suddenly jack kirby versus stan lee and this two page (laughs) like Like, you don't need to tell that metaphor because it it's in the pages and you can see like Kirby's anguish and you can see just all of the problems and everything he ran through and it's portrayed perfectly even in this weird childlike you know chibi face um he still is able to you know deliver that emotional impact that I think Kirby had in a lot of the stuff that you know all the hindrances that he had in his life um so yeah I yeah, yeah it's a great book fantastic book yeah. I'm so glad that you reminded <laughs> me that I needed to buy this all <laughs> I'm glad yeah um Oh yeah, real quick. Uh, the one last thing I'll say is my One Piece update. Uh, I need Xander to roll the clip real quick. So chapter 998 is out today, the day that we're recording December 13th, which means 999 will probably be out in a week or two. I think that the Shonen Jump people or the people over at Sheshua, Sheshua um, in Japan are trying to time this with the new year. So my guess is that we're probably going to see chapter 1000 come January. So I'm kind of taking my time still with One Piece. I did read two chapters this morning, so I'm up to 992, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So that's my One Piece update. When we get to 1000, <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to cancel the whole show. It's just going to be me for an hour just talking about One Piece or something. We'll see. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, but anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Let's move forward. Let's talk about comic books that are coming out in the near future. Comic books are dropping on December 16, 2020. What are you both excited for this week? Let's start with you, Paul. Um, I am excited for the Immortal Hulk number 41. I'm always excited for a new issue of the Immortal Hulk, obviously. I don't mm-hmm. really know what more I can say about this book. Al Ewing is doing an amazing job of somehow condensing the history of the character into one story and yet expanding what that character could do exponentially. It's like, I don't know how you can actually write a Hulk story after this. <laughs> you know, like what more could you do with that character? You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. Um, and then of course I've, I've really grown to love Joe Bennett's artwork. I mean, the way he's able to handle the weird body horror, disgusting elements of this story, you know, is it's it's really a remarkable comic. I've already said uh, everything I can about how perfect it is, and I'm specifically excited for this next issue. And, and I don't want to give anything away for people that are catching up with it or maybe haven't read this far. Uh, but I'll just say this: I'm excited for issue 41 because finally, after 40 issues of smashing, it's going to be clobber in time. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Whatever could that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in the same boat with you, Paul. This, you you got me hooked on this one, and I'm I'm right there with you. I'm up to I'm I'm not even buying back issues and waiting. I'm I'm day and date getting these books because it's it's that good. It's like one of the few yeah, books I read on Wednesdays. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, Kate, what about you? What are what are you excited for? Yeah, I've got two number ones that I'm excited for, but they both come out on December 23rd. So I'm cheating a little bit here. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, so the, the picture of everything else, number one, is by Dan Waters and Keisha Morin. And I just want to read the description because this is like just completely my wheelhouse. Um, it's uh, as the 20th century dawns, art promises to change the world and steep it in blood. A rash of impossible killings sweep through Paris, tearing the rich and beautiful apart in their beds. When two art thieves stumble upon the portraits of the victims damaged in the exact same manner they died, it appears the man who once painted the immortal portrait of Dorian Gray has returned with darker plans for future works. (laughs) I've always been drawn to the story of Dorian Gray, and I really like these like fairy tale or classic story retellings. Um, So this is kind of exactly what I what I want in in my comics um, is this kind of retelling with like a new twist. Um, and mm-hmm. then it kind of uh, has this uh, darkness to it. Like the, the the covers are kind of bloody. The art from the previews thumbnails looks like it's watercolor. Um, so it it's really beautiful from what I can tell from these little thumbnails online. So anyway, mm-hmm. I'm excited about this book. The, the other book I'm excited for is Gloomhaven Fallen Lion number one. Uh, the writer is Travis McIntyre and the artist is Tyler Souls. Uh, this is set in the world of the game Gloomhaven, which Brian and I own and haven't dug into yet, mostly because we got it right before the pandemic started. So we haven't had anybody over to, to really dig into it with us. Um, but I love fantasy and, and D&D and Gloomhaven is, Gloomhaven is kind of D&G, adjacent. Um, and the kind of synopsis for this book is that there's a, a crew and a job goes sideways for them. And the description mentions punk bands, um, drug dealing street gangs, and a dark god sleeping be- beneath the surface, eager to destroy the world. So I'm I'm uh, looking forward Sold. to fan. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? Uh, sure. You, I don't even know what the fuck this game is. Let's do it. 
<laughs> Maybe we'll we'll get like a whole series of like Gloomhaven comic books, kind of like the D and D comic books. Sure. Well, I, I can you explain what Gloomhaven is for those of us that don't oh. know? Yeah. Okay. So Gloomhaven is like this giant box game, and there are there are multiple like campaigns that come in the box, like sort of. Um, it's kind of pre-written, I think. Uh, the way mm-hmm. that you set up the game, it's got all these minis in it. Um, so, like, this box is literally like $120 or something. Um, but you get a ton of gameplay out of it. And then I think mm-hmm. it could be played with two people, but we haven't tried. Our plan was to get a small group going when we played it. So Then, of course, COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. A lot yeah. of game, which is why we haven't played it yet. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Well, I mean, just that description alone, I don't know if that's going to be closer to a fantasy comic book like D&D or something akin to, uh, you know, Judge Dredd. But, you know, I think you've sold me and Paul to maybe try number one. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely curious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's see. I, before I jump into mine, I do want to shout out Danny, who said his his pick was Dark Knight's Death Metal number six. He says, finally, uh, Danny's the only person I know reading Death Metal. So uh, I, I just <laughs> I'm reading it too, Mike. I'm reading uh, it too. <laughs> Oh, you are. Okay, I'm also okay, into, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I will say, uh, I've been back and forth on it. I really loved issue five, so I, I, I'm back on mm-hmm. board. And my my uh, enthusiasm for issue six is is up there. So, okay, very cool. Uh, well, for me this week, I'm picking probably the best book that's coming out, which is New Mutants number fourteen. This is Vita Ayala, Rod Reese. I mean, this team. Can you fucking? slap me in the face this is unbelievable this is incredible team um i'm very excited to see what they're going to bring to the table because it's the team is uh, inside the book not the creative team but the the x-men team is magic danny moonstar karma warpath wolfsbane warlock scout and more they're teasing so much in this book and i i've seen pieces of rod reese's art for this book and i just want to cry i know that he can't keep up (laughs) with the pacing of a monthly book but every time he's on an x-men book it just makes me so happy i mean this guy is in a lot of ways um he's like a modern day sinkevich uh i i think Mm -hmm. he he does this thing with warlock that people haven't done in years he really tries to go wild and crazy uh so i'm really excited to see what these guys are doing because from the sounds of it uh it sounds like the gang of mutants are going to explore the quote edge of krakoa which sounds like fringe tribal mutant stuff i mean how much of a culture can develop in a year on an island i don't really know especially with isolated people but i guess lord of the flies is a thing i'm guessing that this is them investigating (laughs) the lord of the flies type situation uh so let's do it fuck it like who cares x-men makes no sense exoswords didn't matter so let's just fucking (laughs) who cares go fucking crazy with it who x-men fucking (laughs) is the dumbest thing in the world let's do it i'm 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 very excited for this book (laughs) Uh, <laughs> that sounds. I got. I got to admit, that sounds pretty awesome. I did read a big chunk of the original Chris Claremont New Mutants earlier this year, uh-huh. and then I read a few issues of the the new series. And it, I mean, I kind of dropped off all the X stuff, but yeah. uh, Rod Reyes on artwork. I mean, I like a lot of these characters. I'm always interested in this stuff. If only there was like a continuity free version of this, I could jump on. I would love that. So, well, the New Mutants <laughs> book has not really been tied to anything. So I honestly think this is one of those books where like New Mutants 14, you probably could just pick up because you know what happened with House of X, Dawn of X, or House of X, Powers of 10. So I think Mm -hmm. like this is one of those rare books where I 
bet you you could just jump on it number 14 with that idea that this is a utopia there's this weird group of people that are running this utopia and here are here's these characters and if you know who the new mutants are which it sounds like you do um yeah you should be fine that's that's my guess okay I, i'm maybe i'll give it a shot we'll see yeah could be fun uh well i mean i just want everybody to, to ride this crazy fucking train with me because everything and nothing makes sense uh so uh anyways <laughs> let's let's take a quick break uh when we come back we're going to be talking about our favorite comic books from the year 2020 we'll be back in just a second For our show this week, we are talking about the best comics we read in 2020. Now, I don't know if I made this clear to Paul and Kate, but in my mind when I was talking about that, I was just thinking, you know, whatever comic books you read this year, just let's talk about them. It doesn't matter if they were published in 2020 or what, where I read comic books and we don't follow any societal norms because people are probably looking for a best of 2020. (laughs) You fools. That's not what we're here to talk about. So I guess to get things started, uh, I'm going to start with a book that didn't come out this year at all. And that is Incredible Doom number one through six. And it's not really a book so much as it's a series of comics that are collected in these very small micro book formats, like digest size comics almost. Uh, This is by Matthew Bogart. Uh, You can read the entire six issue series at his website, IncredibleDoom.com or you can purchase physical copies of this book. Now, I found this book on Comixology Submit. It was just a random thing. I saw the cover. I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. Um, and it's a comic about 90s kids making bad decisions over the early internet. So I don't know. I didn't. I don't have much experience with early internet. I think I talked about this on the show before. Um, but, you know, this book, it, it really taps into a time that I am for some reason very nostalgic for like having a single computer in the house where only so pe- so many people could be on it um uh it would take up a phone line in order to you know use the internet and all this stuff and like I you know my family got the internet in the early 2000s at some in some point I think it was AOL online you know so you had to do dial up and do everything but um still it was it was an interesting thing uh for me as a kid to be like, wow, what is this internet thing? And then to see a comic book about people that were teenagers or even a little bit older than that, experiencing that as well, and actually using the social features of the early internet before online chat rooms. Instead, you just had bulletin board messages or message boards and um, this, all this different stuff and hacking was a totally different thing. Uh, And so it all comes together in this book as these teenagers are, like it says, making bad decisions and it involves the early internet and how they all get together. (laughs) Um, So there's a lot of intertwining stories that come together. And I really thought that with the first six issues, which is like season one of the series, um, it was really, really powerful. I was super struck by the first issue. So I bought the rest and I finished the six issue series. And then I went to the website and bought all the physical copies of this book. Um, It's a beautiful little series Um, And if you buy all the physical copies, it comes with stickers. So, you know, (laughs) if you're into that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, it's a a really wonderful book. I think Matthew Bogart is doing a fantastic job. And season two was supposed to start debuting pretty soon, except that the series got picked up by a bigger publisher and they're going to be doing OGNs instead of serialized books. Um, Because the story isn't really a chapter-based series. It's just, you know, that's how you released it. Um, So they're going to be releasing the next season, I think, as a graphic novel. And I'm very, very excited about that. Interesting. Uh, 
Paul, what, what's uh, what's one of the books on your list, new or old? <laughs> I chose books that did come out this year for the most part, or at least were concluded this year series-wise. Okay. And I feel a lot of stuff on here I've already mentioned on my list. So um, maybe I'll start with one of those. I know I talked about Far Sector a lot on the show, and that series Same. is still ongoing. Um, I'm I'm one issue behind still. So who knows? Maybe it's maybe it's no longer my one of my favorite comics. Who knows? Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> barring any massive, you know, uh, you know, failure in terms of the create creation of the book or or the next issue, this is one of the most interesting books I've read this year. It feels a very timely book. Again, this is about a Green Lantern, a new Green Lantern rookie, basically who's in a world populated by three different races who traditionally don't get along. Uh, she has to investigate a murder that happened there, the first murder in 500 years. Um, at the same time, there's this overarching story about how these races coexist because they've managed to negate their emotions. We live in sort of an emotionless world. So it's exploring themes of emotion, obviously, if you're talking about a Green Lantern book, that's very important. And mm -hmm. also themes of police brutality and the way the police handle uh, skirmishes between different groups or anti-police sentiment. You get the backstory of this Green Lantern. She did grow up on Earth and was a police officer and dealt with this stuff in real life. And in a year or two, I don't think the creators meant for this to be sort of a parallel or a metaphor for 2020, given the um, anti-police brutality protests that we saw this past summer. And yet it feels yeah. like it's essential to the story that it came out this year. So uh, I still really like this book. I, I think it's a very important book. If you're not reading it, wait for that trade. I think it's going to be well, uh, an important book that came out this year, you know? Yeah. I, I remember, you know, picking this book up after your recommendation and just being floored by how timely it was. And it, the fact that it started in December of 2019 yeah. just <laughs> blows my mind. I mean, like these stories and this this issue is not new by any means, right? I think N.K. Jemisin tapping into this, you know, this story of police brutality and how, you know, specifically how people of color are treated um, and making a direct, like in, in an absolute pointed moment in the comic about someone yeah. being mistreated because of the color of their skin. Um, and then having, you know, six months later, it being one of the biggest, you know, movements in, you know, the recent American history. Um, I, yeah. It's it's really bizarre like it's what a, what a strange coincidence of things there are actually a lot of books came that i read this year that felt like whether they were published this year or not felt like a commentary on what happened this past year which yeah. you know i've mentioned it on the show before i mean it is strange that i read so much judge dread this past year and it was uh, yeah. like every story yeah. where i was like oh this is directly what's happening right now oh this story came out 30 years ago but it's happening right now so it's mm -hmm. maybe that's just the current events of the world are always in the back of your head when you're reading. So those parallels are more obvious maybe sometimes, but this year, especially sure. there were a lot of books that really hit that home and that far sector, definitely one of them. Yeah. Uh, Kate, what about you? What, uh, what's one of your books on your list? Yeah. I'm, <clears throat> this one's uh, a little bit more lighthearted. <laughs> um, sure. uh, Fangirl volume one. This is by rainbow Rowell, Sam Maggs, who is the adapter for it. And then Gabby Nam, who did the art. This is an adaptation of the prose book by rainbow Rowell that came out a number of years ago. And it's a coming of age story about a girl, Kath starting college as well. Um, she's managing new friends and she's trying to like figure out her changing relationships with her family, as well as trying to finish a long running fan fiction with that has a large following online. Um, <laughs> And the, the 
the fan fiction bits that you see in the story feel very like Harry Potter, Draco Malfoy ship uh, this early on in the book. But once you get further in the prose book, which is not covered yet by volume one, um, they're like the the world that this fan fiction is based off of. Um, well, it is a magic school. It it uh, it is very very different from Hogwarts, even though you know her uh, her first uh, her first draft when she was writing Fangirl might have been just Hogwarts, <laughs> uh, right? But in real life, fan fiction is is very black or white with authors. So I've always felt like it was really ballsy of Rainbow Rowell to have this this charming protagonist who was clearly pro fan fiction, and then it worked, and it was like. The prose book was extremely popular, um, and now the the fan fiction that Kath is writing is actually a published book in the real world that has a sequel to it, and now we have this comic adaptation. Huh. So this, I mean, she took a risk, man, and it worked out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, wow! But I was I was expecting this this um, this book to just be a self contained. OGN one volume thing but it, it turns out that they're going to do a, a four volume series and I think that, sure. that works better because otherwise they really would have had to cut out um, something out of this story and I think that that would mm-hmm. have been really de- detrimental to how like charming this is um, I mean and- Rainbow Rowell like as a creator like at this point I think anything that's got her name on it is printed guaranteed minimum you know a hundred thousand orders in yeah. a weird way like and I, it's, it's because she's such a fantastic writer like every single comic that I or should say the runaways book I'm just gonna scream and yell about for eternity um it's it's beautiful and she's captured the characters gr- better than Brian Vaughn did and he fucking created them uh but also you know like her prose work is also incredible as well like i the 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 few chapters of one of the books that i read of hers was just captivating um and then i stopped reading prose books altogether because one piece is life um but still like she she is a a wonderfully popular white writer and i think it's because her books really hit like this art like this generation of readers in ways that uh, a lot of other writers don't uh so yeah i i I totally understand Mm -hmm. why they'd want to do four books but also it's probably good for the series or the book to actually make sure that they're capturing everything um within the original prose book yeah and uh uh, in terms of what's in this, it, what's in this story is you actually like see some of the fan fiction that Kath is writing, and the whole mm-hmm. book is drawn in like a Western manga kind of style. But then you see these bits of of the fan fiction, and they're drawn in like a different, more like I don't know, stylized like '90s style manga, like what I think mm-hmm. is being more of like a um, kind of uh, more artistic uh, sketch kind of style. Anyway. Um, so like the, the the fan fiction is like a unique art style from the the rest of the story um and then i just wanted to mention that this made it into the the 10 most popular comics on goodreads this year um and it, <laughs> it came in fourth which i, I wow. voted for it coming first so <laughs> <laughs> gotcha <laughs> i'm excited for of it i'm so glad well now i feel like i need to read this like <laughs> yeah <laughs> Let's see. I mean, another book, uh, you know, I, I do kind of want to like list through these, but then I kind of want to swing back to like a bigger question here. But, to, you know, let's just get sure. some of these out of the way. Um, I think another big book that I was I really loved uh, that came out this year was uh, 
She Would Feel the Same by Emma Hunsinger. Uh, it's a really short but insanely powerful book uh, about a couple. I talked about this on the show. I kind of raved about it already. But, you know, the, this couple, Chloe and Phoebe, their relationship ends amicably. But they they because they wake up one day and they decide, hey, maybe we shouldn't be together anymore. And we follow Chloe as she can't stop thinking about it. Like, how how was it? how is it possible that a relationship could end so well so end so easily feel like you don't have any feelings anymore you don't feel any strings you don't have anything about this person um they're living their life without you and you're living your life without them and that that sense of civility starts to drive her a little bit i don't want to say crazy but it just it gets into her head it's like a bug that she can't get rid of um and the chaos of the book like the the art style you look at it i don't think it's going to be for everybody um but i really liked it i liked the simplicity of it i liked the uh just the kind of vulgarness of it in some ways and by the end of the book there is just a series of incredibly chaotic pages that i read so quickly I felt the overwhelming emotion that someone who is feeling that strong, like lack of love, lack of like that feeling you get when you break up with someone or when someone has broken up with you. Um, I was feeling it all through the end. And so the last two or three pages were super powerful um, in how they delivered the, the, the come down from that chaos. I, I cannot recommend this a book or this book enough because it is so strange how such a simple book could be so powerful because it feels like a nothing slice of life kind of book um and i don't mean to say that in an insulting way but it does feel very slice of life very laid back and slow paced but by the by the time you get to that end um and you start to see the 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 speed of the book start to ramp up um the the emotion is there and i i really really loved it i i think if you if you want to read a book that is really captures the chaos of someone's mind when they're overwhelmed by a thought and they can't get away from it this is the book for you and maybe a lot of people will avoid it for that reason but i i haven't read a book that captures it so well like this one did uh and it's it's probably a tough book to get it's like comes from a British small part, small press company. I got it as part of a Kickstarter, but you can buy it online for like nine pounds on their website. And I think they'll send it to you. It's, it's fucking incredible. I loved it so much. Interesting. Yeah. That sounds interesting. I will investigate that one, Mike. Yeah. Sure. I mean, Shortbox, they do this thing every year uh, or every couple of months. I, I haven't really followed it too closely, but they'll put up a Kickstarter where they'll just be like, hey, you pay X number of dollars and we will send you the next five or six books that we have in our catalog that are going to be coming out. And I, gotcha. I did that for this one. Huh. Um, so I got like five okay. or six other small books of different various sizes and lengths. It's a very, very cool little project. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, Paul, what's another book on your list? Or one or two? I mean, you don't have to go into deep explanation for all of these like I have been. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, <laughs> um, I do want to give a shout out to Danny in the chat. Mentioned Pulp as one of his picks. I would pick Pulp too. I really enjoyed this OGN that Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips put out this year. Um, again, it kind of goes without saying, I love everything that those creators do. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's almost like a given that their book's going to end up on my best of the year list. But Pulp really stood out to me. I thought this was interesting in that it's still a crime story, but they're playing with the genre in an interesting way. And it felt like Brubaker and Phillips sure. were addressing some interesting issues with this story that normally I don't see them do in their other work. Um, the short version of the story is that it's about a pulp writer who writes cowboy stories. It's set during the Depression, but... Um, 
he's reached a point where he's strapped for cash and you find out his backstory is that he actually lived in the, the quote unquote old West and was a cowboy and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. was a criminal, was an outlaw. And as the story goes on, the sort of parallels between the stories he writes and his real life become, you know, more clear. But then you realize that it has that, um, old, no country for old men vibe, where it's just like this guy thought, he was prepared for the world as it is. And it turns out the world has moved past him. The criminals are yeah. no longer riding the range outlaws. They're the guys, they're the publishers. The criminals have become legit and they wear suits now, you know, and he's not prepared mm-hmm. for that world. And he's aged out of the, the, his, uh, his criminal past. And just the way Brubaker and Phillips kind of write older characters dealing with their past and dealing with the world around them. I've always enjoyed. And this book kind of captures it perfectly. So I was really impressed. I, I knew I was going to like it going in, but I was really impressed how much I did like Pulp in the end. Yeah, same here. I, I didn't know what to expect. I, th- I def- definitely thought, yeah. again, not doing any research on any of the books. I'm just buying them. <laughs> uh, I, sure. This book, I was like, oh, it's going to be a Western. Maybe a little bit of you know twist on a Western. And it's like, nah, son, that's going to be, you, you, you've misjudged this book. <laughs> and all for the better. Like, yeah. it, is, it is better for that reason. I, I really liked it. Yeah, um, maybe a, a parallel to that, a book that I kind of went in expecting to like and was surprised how much I did like it was um, Bowie, Stardust, Ray Guns, and Moon Age Daydreams by yeah. Mike and Laura Allred and Steve Horton. This is a basically a biography of David Bowie. Um, I've never been a – I don't know how to put it. I'm not like a diehard Bowie fan. I've always liked David Bowie, but he's never been one of the, my top artists I reference. But he's a fascinating character, obviously. He's a fascinating sure. artist. And what's great about this yeah. book is that Allred loves Bowie so much. And it's just like, it's like the greatest fan fiction almost. It's just like a fan letter to Bowie, not even just as a musician, but as a person and a personality. So yeah, some of the sort of historical stuff where they go through Bowie's career is like stuff I already knew, but the way Allred would portray it on the page, it's like he captures the way Bowie looks, the way his music sounds and what his thought process and songwriting. There's like, there'd be like a full page spread where it's like, it looks like a chaotic image, but then you realize like all of the images are like references to lyrics of the song. So as he's illustrating what the song is, even though it's a nonsense song, to see it mm-hmm. spread out kind of gives you a deeper appreciation to Bowie as a songwriter. So again, this is like the Jack Kirby book. It's a book that I was blown away when I read it. And when I'm sort of uh, looking for something to read or in between reading, I'll just pull it off the shelf and flip through it and just be blown away again every time I do it. So it was a really great book. Yeah. I, I'm really, I'm really happy. I ended up just buying a physical copy, sight unseen. So, mm-hmm. looking at the preview pages, it is absurd the amount of detail in this book. <laughs> um, yeah. and I, I say that because Mike Allred, in my opinion, doesn't really do a lot of detail depending on the book, right? right? Like yeah. looking at his Ecstatics book, which is a book that I probably know him best for, um, as well as his Doctor Strange book, or excuse me, Doctor Strange, uh, Silver Surfer. <laughs> I don't know how I mix those two up. Uh, his wow. Silver Surfer book that he did with Dan Slott. Like there's a lot of just wide open space with the exception of some yeah. pages. You do see a lot of detail, but looking at just some of the pages in this book, like full blown, like actualized <laughs> backgrounds and details on people's faces to make them look exactly like they would in real life. Like it's, it's yeah. imp- severely impressive. Um, like, which I think goes to even further prove what you were saying, Paul, that he loved David Bowie. Um, and he really <laughs> wanted to make sure he did yeah. a good job, you know, portraying his character. Yeah. And, 
it's so hard to draw people playing music and make it look cool or make it look mm-hmm. like exciting. And like he <laughs> yeah. does it. Like he, the, the scenes of the, the David Bowie and uh, the Ziggy Stardust and spiders from Mars, like playing on stage, like you can hear the music coming through the page. And again, it does help if you throw on your copy of hunky dory or Ziggy Stardust while you're reading the book, but sure, you know, it, sure. it really does capture that emotion. And, the last couple of pages of the book are basically because the book only focuses on maybe like five or six years in Bowie's career. Mm-hmm. But the last couple of pages, he kind of does like a montage sort of of like the rest of Bowie's you know amazing career. It's like, God, give me the sequel. Like, give me the next two or three books in this whole series. I would love right. to see him continue the story that way. <laughs> Just Mike and Laura Allred only doing David Bowie books for the rest of their day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I liked X-Ray Robot too. That was another good book that came out this year. But Bowie was oh, the, yeah. kind of the one I kept going back to. So. Gotcha. Uh, Kate, what about you? What's, a, what's another book on your list? Yeah, I, um, I've i talked about this before, <laughs> Some, um, but it's The Old Guard by Greg Rucka and uh, Leandro Fernandez. And mm-hmm. I know that The Old Guard is kind of old news at this point, but Volume 2 came out this year and then the movie adaptation happened. So I feel like it's been given a new life. And so I actually read it for the first time and then also the second time this year. <laughs> um, and every time somebody reminds me about this book, I think about it for days. Um, all yeah. the characters are so different from one another and they have these unique relationships with each other. But at the end of the day, they are a team and that that solidity carries over what's implied to be years of not seeing one another. Um and there are a couple of, of changes that the movie made to, to like characters or um, like how quick the plot moves um, for the movie. But then um, I feel like um, those few changes kind of improve the overall story. But aside from that, I feel like volume one of this book is like a near perfect story. Um, mm-hmm. Like it, the like I said, the, the the characters are so rich and engaging. The monologue between Joe and Nikki makes me cry every single time. Um, the amount of backstory balanced with like current action is really well balanced. And then the, the book ends on this note that like, even though they commit a lot of violence and they hurt a lot of people, they're really positively affecting humanity overall. Um, and just like sense of like renewed love for one another as, as a team. And then they're going to like continue forward together. So just, yeah, there's really strong, like found family vibes in that book that are, super powerful i think that that and that's what makes the old guard like such a great book is this idea that while yes these people are brought together because of some cosmic reason that really isn't fully explained i mean i haven't read volume two so maybe it is but um you know they're brought together through this dream thing um so slight spoilers for the old guard but the fact that they you know survive and they know each other and after all this time they haven't tried to just constantly kill each other um and because of that, they depend on each other and they love each other. Um, you know, two of the characters, you know, they they are in love with each other. Um, it really makes it a beautiful book uh, when you think about it from a perspective of found family. Um, and that that's the thing that I really enjoyed about it. Yeah, I could I could read this book on like a monthly basis and not get tired of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Write that letter to Greg Rucka. Let him know that we need that volume three yeah. so we can get the, you know, five or six or seven movies from Netflix out of it. There you go. Uh, <laughs> another book that I want to talk about uh, that I really liked this year uh, was The Way of the House Husband, a book that I know that I've ranted about on the show many times, um, but it is the funniest goddamn comic book I've I've read <laughs> this year, period. Uh, you know, this the story is a former Yakuza assassin turns into a house husband, but he still approaches everything as if he was a hitman. 
Uh, so, you know, the, there's a, there's a chapter where his whole focus is trying to kill this cockroach in his house, you know, and it's the entire issue is shot or built up as if he was hunting someone, you know, in the middle of the night and he has to be silent. Otherwise, it's going, you know, they're going to, fl- you know, run away um, or, you know, he's trying to prepare eggs for his wife. And so he talks about how he, you know, you got to crack them real hard or otherwise they're not going to break down the way that you expect them to. Like he gets he gets so it's so absurd the way that everything he does feels as if it's coming still from the perspective of someone who's trying to do a hit or is trying to manipulate some, you know, shop owner or do something crazy. You know, he spends an entire issue or chapter working with his, this old Yakuza boss. Um, and he's trying to, you know, find the spot where they can meet. So no one knows that they're there because no one's supposed to know that this Yakuza boss is going out with his dog. Um, and, the, and our main character also has a dog and he wants their dogs to be friends, but it's, it's portrayed <laughs> as if like they're having this secret meetup to exchange goods. It's so absurd. Um, and every chapter you read is just another gag on top of another gag. And it takes itself so seriously until it needs to be funny. Um, and I, it's, I, I have to, I can't stop selling it um, as one of the funniest books you can read. And it's, it's fantastic to just sit down and read the 12 or 13 chapters in a volume. Cause they're all really short chapters just to get a gag across. And there's a small, but slowly building story about all these other former Yakuza guys who are actually like living very calm lives, but they still have, you know, six or seven bodyguards with tattoos up their necks and walking around with, you know, um, not guns, but instead various cook, uh, you know, cook, cutlery um because they like to do exchanges and it's it's very fun um i i absolutely love this book and by the time you get to volume three or four there's a chapter where he's consistent chapters where he's consistently meeting up with other housewives in the neighborhood and he's talking about his old days when he was an assassin to these women but they think that he's talking about like having to take care of kids or having to cook dinner and it's it's very absurd to see the imagery and these like old women reacting to him. It's I, I can't I can't describe it well enough. Everyone should just go try this first volume. This is one of those old school Mike Rappin guarantees. If you don't like it, I'll pay you back over PayPal kind of things. <laughs> it's so much fucking fun. Yeah, you've talked uh, about this. So, yeah, before. I, it sounds so appealing. I'll have to die. We'll have to dig into this one. So it sounds yeah, great. I mean. Paul, I don't know how into manga you are. I, my aunt's guess is very, like, not really. Um, I've heard like, of it. It's, it's still, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that this is, like, a really funny way to try it. A, try manga that's not a shonen book, right? To not jump into, like, a gotcha. Dragon Ball or a Bleach or a My Hero. Instead, you're diving into what is a slice-of-life book that has this really strange twist. Um, and I think it's it's just really, it's ultimately really wholesome and fun. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, speaking of fun, uh, I feel like I should mention Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen was one of my favorite books to read this year. Um, Okay. I I thought you were going to mention another book on your list and it was going to be really dark. Uh (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) No, I'm keeping it light for now. The dark stuff comes later. Okay. Um, Okay. (laughs) um, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, uh, written by Matt Fraction, art by Steve Lieber, colors by Nathan Fairbairn. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a goofy, fun book for the most part. It's about Jimmy Olsen, um, having to run away from Metropolis because there's a murder attempt, assassination attempt against him. And then part of his attempt to disguise himself is to change his name and then move to Gotham. But he starts doing like YouTube prank videos instead of his usual, you know, journalism. 
And the book gets more and more absurd. It's a, you get flashbacks to the early days of Metropolis when it's the Olsen family and the Luther family at at odds with the two wealthy families in the city. So Lex Luther is the prime suspect wanting uh, Jimmy Olsen to be killed. And you also get uh, an incredibly grim, dark take on Batman uh, who scares Jimmy Olsen. It's like, it's so many jokes upon jokes, but it, it never feels like it's out of control. You know, it's, because sure. the way the story is told, it's very formalistic, but not in the sort of, you know, uh, Tom King nine panel grid. This is what comics formalism looks like. It really <laughs> is a throwback to the way that comics in the Silver Age had chapters and story breaks and narration. You have an omniscient narrator who's telling the whole story and giving each chapter its own title. It does definitely captures the feeling of Silver Age books while being a sort of modern humor mentality to it. Mm-hmm. And it ends on a very interesting, positive, heartwarming note and a change in the status quo, which I hope sticks in the Superman comics. So if you're not a big Superman fan and barely know Jimmy Olsen, just know the name, basically, I think you'd still enjoy this book. It's so ridiculous and over the top that it's uh, yeah. just an enjoyable read overall. This is Yeah, this is Matt Fraction, Steve Lieber, and Nathan Fairburn. Like, yeah. like what a fucking team right there, too. Exactly. Oh my God. Steve Lieber's artwork is amazing. I mean, it looks mm-hmm. so simple at, at first, but then again, the cartooning element of it, the story beats, the way he uses the formless structure of the comic. It's, it's pretty amazing. Even though it looks like just like a fun, silly comic, it's a really deep, well-executed, uh, really engaging comic. Yeah, I, I've been sitting on these issues for a little while. I think I was just waiting for the last one to come out. So I, I maybe this is one that I should just tackle in a weekend because it sounds like it's it's going to be a blast. Oh, yeah. You'll have fun. Kate, what about you? What's uh, what's one more book you've got? Yeah, I read On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden. and Oh, my God. This is one that we've talked about. <laughs> got this beautiful and really simple, like, two or three color art that, like, really emphasizes different aspects on a page. And then you know mm-hmm. something big is happening if suddenly there's a third color in there. Um, this is an LGBT book. It's sci-fi. It's coming of age. Um, and this universe is well thought out and nuanced within the world building. Like in the story is not overwhelming. Like it just includes the parts that are important to our protagonist's story. And mm-hmm. this is just unique from anything that I have read. I mean, I, I said that it's sci-fi, but everything is just like... <sighs> I don't I don't know where the the writer came up with these ideas. They're brilliant. Yeah. It's a it, that book is so fantastic in that in the way that it plays with just soft sci-fi, right? You know, where you don't have to describe anything. Like these people are flying around in a giant koi fish. Yeah. Why? I don't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, like there's no hard rules about can they breathe out here? Can, you know, if they, you know, is gravity we don't need to talk about that cuz it's not relevant to the story, right? Um I, I totally agree. This is one of the best books that came out this year. Yeah, I love that that there are these like ruins in space that they have to go and like clean up to like reuse them for for new things and like it's never mm-hmm. explained why there are so many ruins around space like where they came from they're just mm-hmm. beautiful and there and it's great it's it's really nice it's a nice story <laughs> yeah it really it really is I mean it's one of the oh. biggest books on my shelf like if I look over it it's like one of the thickest books that I own um but every page is necessary and it there are so many like and you can read a lot of it online but uh 
the the collected edition is is a nice heft and i mean some of those pages i i would love to just there's some two page spread or single page spread like splash pages that she does um and some beautiful panels that like i would print out and just hang on my wall because they are just so gorgeous in the way that she mixed colors and the page and like the frame layout and stuff it's 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 one of those books that like you you know you are constantly reminded as you're reading it why tilly walden is such a special creator and why she's won so many goddamn awards for her books yeah the one last book i'll mention because this is also on paul's list um is hedra uh this is jesse lonergan um this book i bought digitally and then smashed my ipad across the floor into six million pieces and said you fool mike how dare you purchase this digitally and then um i pressed the rewind button on reality and my ipad came back and then i went online and bought a physical copy and had it mailed to my house um this book is fucking insane um in terms of just exploring the way that you can tell a story with the comic book medium and no dialogue uh I loved how beautiful this book was. Just having that full-sized, magazine-sized comic book in your hand and seeing the way that your eye is encouraged to follow the flow of the page layout um, in a way more so than any other book that I've read this year. Um, um, I I just loved it from beginning to end. Paul, I, I don't know if you want to speak to that I know, uh, at all because I know you also had it on your list. Yeah, uh, what it's... So interesting to see a book that feels like it's trying something new with the comic book medium, and that's that was my first impression reading Hedra was that definitely you know we're trained to sort of read panel to panel, but suddenly when you have a page that is like twelve panels, but the action isn't happening left to right; it's happening in the bottom left hand corner, traveling upward. Mm-hmm. It's like you it takes you a second for your brain to rearrange, like oh, I'm not reading panel to panel, I'm looking at the full page composition and yet it's still organized, like looks like a comic book page. It And that, I think that sort of like, it messes your brain up enough where you're, puts you in that story in a weird way, if that makes sense. Because it's, that story is very much a 2001 type space mind fuck, you know, anyway, that when you're, that's happening, what's that? I absolutely, I totally agree with you. Yeah. And I was going to, that. To have that happen, you know, while you're reading it, actually in your brain kind of definitely helps the story. Now, Mike, did you read uh, the other book that came out this year, uh, Planet Paradise by Jesse Lonergan, which is kind of a companion piece to Hedra? I I had totally forgot that I'd ordered it, and then it showed up in my pull box a couple weeks ago at the comic shop. What's really interesting is that Planet Paradise is smaller. It's published like a – like a – digest size instead of the big magazine size Mm -hmm. and it is more of a traditional comic book there's dialogue there's caption boxes uh it's more of an action story but again it's set in space it feels like it takes place in the same universe and there is more of those sort of bizarre page layouts in it so it's interesting to see how lonergan was able to do both things really well like more of a traditional space comic book yet still have it mm-hmm. feel unique and then do something like hedger which again it feels like the last 20 minutes of 2001 on a comic book page right. so right you know he's well, definitely I, a creator that is on my radar now because of those two books yeah i had never even heard of uh planet paradise now i'm i know what i'm buying next like uh i, I really want to try anything <laughs> else that this guy does i was so impressed with hedra as a book um, and I remember everyone on Twitter was like 
falling out of their seats <laughs> for it and stuff. Um, yeah. So it's no surprise that it's on like this list here. But uh, right. yeah, to, to see other stuff from this guy, I'd be really curious to know how he approaches other comics, especially something that's quote unquote more traditional in that it actually has word bubbles and stuff. But because, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, Hedra, like it's interesting, you know, we, we talk about a book like this being so unique because it doesn't use dialogue and he's using very interesting panel layouts and stuff and, and comic <laughs> flow. Um, but like you don't see a lot of books doing that. And I think that this is like I think Jesse Lonegrand is definitely someone that understands the medium maybe better than some other artists or is willing to experiment more because of his deep understanding of how the medium works. Um, and I, you know, for that, I think he should be commended, you know, for that. And I, I which is why I'm willing to try more of his stuff to see how experimental this medium can get. Cause I don't think we get a lot of experimentation because there is quite honestly, a lot of times where people do experiment and it super fails, like in, in the worst ways where people just go, I couldn't follow this comic book. And yet with something like Hedra, yeah. I never felt lost. Not not even right. once. Um, I had no idea who this creator was. It's not like I'm going in with a Hickman bias or a Morrison bias or, you know, whatever. And saying like, yeah, yeah I'll just kind of roll with the punches here. It's like I was jumped in saying, what the fuck is this? And I, I came out of it feeling like, wow, that was a really interesting way to approach a story. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's um, to really sort of have an understanding of the way the eye and the mind process a comic book page and then playing with the possibilities of that. I think uh, it's not something mm -hmm. you see often enough, especially from a publisher like Image. I'm sure there's indie creators doing yeah. stuff like that that doesn't get seen, but the fact that he, uh, Image is able to publish this stuff and get a bigger audience for it is pretty amazing. So, yeah, um, yeah, and I think it worked to his benefit um, in that regard, yeah. which is something that I was actually actually kind of noticing as I was looking through a lot of my my books that I read this year because I'm one of those people that keeps a spreadsheet. I know I've talked about it a couple times on the show, but I keep a running spreadsheet of everything that I read because. I am the type of person that will absolutely forget what I've read. Like I just opening up my spreadsheet right now, you know, I have read, let's, let's scroll to the bottom. I think it's 1,700 individual items this year. Right. And that's, that's a combination of single issues, manga chapters, original graphic novels, collected editions of books, um, all individually cataloged. I mean, of course I have a severe bias. Like I'm just looking at numbers right now, but um, you know, 70, what it's 71%, 723 of those items are shown and jump individual chapters. That seems wrong. It should actually be a yeah, lot more than ask. that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still, it's it's quite a bit. Oh, I know why. Because my my <laughs> my summation thing goes doesn't go all the way to the end of the document that I have. Um, but nonetheless, like I've read, you know, 900, <laughs> almost 900, almost a thousand chapters of One Piece, all this other stuff. So, you know, tracking things is really tough, which is kind of brings me to my bigger question here of, you know, if you guys are looking at your reading habits, looking at the things that you read this year, did you notice any trends of anything that you were uh, like reading? Were you reading more of one type of comic or were you trying to you see that you're binging more on certain days of the week? Have you guys noticed anything like that as you kind of reflect back on the year 2020 and your comic habits? I think I read a wider variety of things, like a lot more stuff that I probably wouldn't have picked up for myself. And that's that's uh, a combination of, of trying to be more involved with the, the Goodreads uh, reading challenge and the book of the month stuff and also doing a, the Pop Sugar reading challenge, which is 50 books. Mm. So I did like two thirds of mm. them as uh, comic book volumes to try to get, try to uh, succeed on that that challenge. So I definitely picked up th things that I like would never have have thought of because I was trying to meet a prompt of some kind. 
Gotcha. What, what about you, Paul? Any, any trends you noticed on your end? Uh, that's tough. Um, I'm a very easily distracted reader, so I kind of jump around from a lot of different stuff. Um, I routinely, f- I still this year fell way behind on my regular floppies that I buy every week. Uh, that's not uncommon. Um, so a lot of catching up on that stuff sure. in big chunks. Um, I did notice that this year I did kind of try to read uh, longer series and sort of stay focused on them. Um, I read a lot of Chris Claremont X-Men stuff. Like I mentioned, the new X-Men stuff earlier in the year. I tried to get through Astro City, but the last like five volumes disappeared from Hoopla right when I was getting toward the end. So I never finished Astro City, but I had a great time reading all that stuff on Hoopla. Um, I've obviously judged Dread. I worked my way through a lot of the complete case files and some of the more recent bigger stories on that. And then, um, and then Sandman. I'm just started volume five of Sandman, so I'm, I'm, I found this year it was easier for me to binge read and focus on longer runs, um, even if they're older stuff. So that kind of mm-hmm. was nice, a nice way to pass the time. And then there were a couple big like tentpole books that came out this year that I was very excited for and set time aside to focus on. Like, like I mentioned the Bowie book, uh, the, the Kirby biography we mentioned earlier, and then Kent State mm-hmm. by Durf Bacter, which would probably be my pick for book of the year. If I had to pick one, that was such a big right. book. And I was so engrossed with it that it really f- took my focus. I enjoyed spending time with that book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know Paul, you had a couple more on your list that we didn't necessarily get to. If you want to go through those really quick, because I was worried that you were going to bring up Kent State and I was just going to be like, oh, I haven't read it yet because I don't know if I could bring myself to it. Um, were there I, other I, books like said, that you wanted to talk about? Uh, very briefly, maybe. I do want to mention Superman Smashes the Clan by Gene Wen Yang and Giri Hiru. Um, that was a really fun book. I guess it kind of bridges the past two years. The final issue came out earlier this year. Mm-hmm. That was a really fun read. Um. Detective Comics number 1027, you know I'm a sucker for big oversized anniversary issues. It doesn't get bigger Mm -hmm. or more oversized than this. It's like 150 pages of Batman stories, all of which were great. So I enjoyed that. Um, And what else do I have here? Finally, I got to say, Mike, I really liked Dracula Motherfucker by Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson. Okay. I think visually that book was the most interesting, best looking book I read all year. I just love the colors. Love the artwork. I read it digitally, and I'm actually tempted to buy a physical copy because I thought it was that good looking. I mean, you know, I I'm not going to say <laughs> that you're wrong because I do think that I do think that that book was very visually impressive. That being said, I expected more book for sure. the, the cover price. Um, you know, and I yeah. I'm not trying. I guess you know th- that can maybe come off as me saying like this book was it worth fifteen dollars because. That's not what I'm getting at. I think creators should be paid for the work that they do. Um, but I look at what I paid $15 for for other creators of the same tier, I think. And I'm getting more comic book and and like more pages. And like I honestly think that that book could have had another 50 pages and still been very interesting. There's so much to explore. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of surprised and let down when I realized that it was $15, $16. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, but... Yeah, I will agree with you. Like Erica Henderson's art is top fucking notch in that book. Like there are some scenes of Dracula, which I was just yeah. like, oh my God, like blown away with just the 70s horror vibe that I really pulled out of that, like some of those scenes. So like, I can't argue with you there. Yeah, it's it's amazing because like, I'm not like a huge, I'm not big on vampire mythology. It's like, like a Dracula, sure. like, 
you you know what it's going to look like. But the fact that you know Erica Henderson was able to make Dracula look different and actually scary and actually like you know some of those page designs, like you said, are just like the most disturbing, nightmarish, like horror things filtered through the lens of like 1970s black exploitation cinema is mm-hmm. visually incredible. If I had to pay, you know, 15, 16 dollars up front for it, not knowing that it was so short, maybe I'd be a little disappointed. But yeah, I think reading digitally and then being blown away enough to want to buy a physical copy yeah. speaks to uh, how how good looking it is. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's my issue is that I I bought it digitally thinking, I don't know, again, not doing my research, not looking at the page. Actually, I didn't know the page count, I guess, beforehand because I didn't look into it on Images website. But nonetheless, like, I think like if I bought this in hardcover, I wouldn't necessarily be as frustrated about it. But, you know, anyway, I guess like get a lot of. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. There there is a lot of like back material like the the second half of the book is basically them describing the aesthetic and how they arrived at it so if you want mm-hmm. to see you know how the how the sausage is made so to speak um in a comic book and how they were able to make it look so unique like that is really interesting fun process stuff it's worth it for that for sure sure um but yeah so i guess you know as far as like trends go you know it sounds like um you know i i just read a lot of fucking manga this year <laughs> um, I, up, I updated my Excel spreadsheet as I'm sitting here. Um, and you know, I had 1214 Shonen Jump reads just from that one publisher, uh, 56. Why? Oh, those are separated. So let's, that's even higher. So it's like 72, uh, 1272 books that I read from or chapters from Shonen Jump. Marvel was my number two at 7.2%, 125 books. Image was 76. IDW was 47. <laughs> like this year was insane. Wow. Image was only 35 books, which is kind of surprising. Um, but I also will say that there's a ton of floppies that I am just sitting on that I haven't read. Like the whole, all, almost all of Chew, the new Chew series, I haven't read. I read the first two issues and then I was like, I'm just going to read them in, in batches. Um, and then there's some X-Men or not X-Men books, some Marvel books that I picked up that I haven't read. Uh, like the uh, Strange Academy. Um, I've been meaning to read the, the Harry Potter, but it's Doctor Strange book. Um, so like my this year has been, I think I'm similar to Paul in that I've been just digging through old books like i read all of lock and key um at one point this year i read um uh like i said i've been reading a lot of just random uh shonen jump books uh i've also been reading like i read like harley quinn black and white this is on danny's recommendation all far sector you know all of the incredible hulk like just bigger runs i've been more uh, like excited to sit down and read like a bunch at once and i think this is a reflection of me reading all of one piece being like i love just having you know, 50 issues to read through this thing and not having to wait and having to switch between different series and stuff like that as I'm reading. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, it's been an interesting year. I think I've been reading a lot of more varying publishers. So it's not just coming from Marvel, DC, you know, image, um, dark horse instead there's you know a lot of small indie publishers and i've been trying to read some kickstarter stuff and trying to read some of the goodreads books um from the reading challenge which everybody you should make sure to do that before the end of the year um since i think we've got like a couple more days on that after this issue debuts uh so it's it's been interesting you know i think as far as my my reading habits for the year because they've been severely influenced by one piece but also um i think overall even compared to last year i've read way more comic books than previous years and i don't think that's just because of like being you know shut down and not going anywhere um because i think even in january february and march i was still reading a lot more comics in general than i was um in previous years so maybe this is just the year of the comic book for me (laughs) 
I don't know if you guys have <laughs> that any, be every any, year. any, like, I wouldn't say that should yeah. be every year, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Well, I think, well, last year was, last year for me was the year of the OGN because I think I read more OGNs oh, right. um, than anything, like, not like numbers wise, but like page count wise. Um, and this year was probably just the year of the, probably more the year of the manga chapter. Next year, we'll <laughs> see what it's going to be. It's going to be like year of the 90s comic or something. We'll see. Oh, yeah. I'm in for, I'm in for that. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah uh well i guess uh, did you guys have any 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 last final thoughts about like your best of 2020s anything that you wish you could have read but didn't get a chance to where to start with that uh yeah wish i, I could Big- finish astro city hoopla if you're listening <laughs> wish i could finish astro city i was really liking it i have uh almost 700 comics on my to read comics list so um yeah <laughs> There's a lot. All right. So next year, we're going to take the challenge that I I joked about at the beginning of this year, which is you don't buy any new comics until you've read all your backlog. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, We'll see. We'll see if that's going to be a thing. Um, But anyways, let's let's uh, wrap up the show here. Before we wrap things up, I do actually want to shout out some folks who have written reviews for us. But like. I see them show up in my inbox through this service that I use, but I couldn't find them online until I realized that they weren't U.S. Um, Apple reviews. So I found some some reviews. Um, if you are someone that wrote a review and you want a sticker, send me an email um, and let me know that it's you who wrote this review and I'll send you a sticker. Um, and you got to prove it somehow. I will figure that out. But let me let me get through some of these before we wrap up here. I know it's a really long episode, but uh, Jay Bruce 444 wrote us a, a review on August 1st. He said, I find this podcast helpful for finding out about new comics, hearing new tales on comics I already really like, but mostly as a writer, I find it inspiring and helpful to listen to smart people dissecting stories. Keep it up, gang. Thank you, Jay Bruce. We really appreciate that. Uh, Dom with a little D uh, said, Comics Plus. He wrote this on... <laughs> Uh, November 14, he said, this is the most varied comic book podcast you can find from chats about weekly releases to big questions about the nature of reality. Do yourself a favor and listen. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it's a friend of our show, uh, Dom with Little D. He's a really cool guy. Uh, used to run his own show. One day, I hope to have him as a guest on the show. I'm just shouting that out on the show uh, here. Uh, one more I'll, I'll get through. Silly Banana Nana. Uh, if you listen to one comic book podcast, make it this one. They said, this is a brilliant podcast to help enhance your enjoyment of comic books, especially if you read comics published by a wide range of publishers. Uh, the team of contributors led by Mike Rappin each bring their own passion for different types of comics, whether it's X-Men, Wiccan, the Divine, Archie, or My Hero Academia. They pretty much cover everything you might want to read. Another great aspect of this podcast is the way the team interacts with listeners, especially as part of the Goodreads Book of the Month feature, which involves a review of a graphic novel as picked by the members of the IRCB Goodreads group. Thank you so much, Silly Banana, for your review. We really appreciate it. One last one. Mr. Joshua Dawkins. This is from 2018. (laughs) I'm so sorry we're just getting to this now. I promise I wasn't ignoring you. It's just that I couldn't find this review. uh, Or who wrote this review? Uh, This comic... This comic is super entertaining. We're a comic book. Uh, It helps me with comic book recommendations. All members of the show... All members show their passion for comics that helps to sell them. Some of my new favorite comics and characters have come from their recommendations. We'll listen until the end. Keep it up, please. Smiley face. Thank you, Mr. Joshua Dawkins. And again, so sorry it took me two years to get to this review. I genuinely apologize because I didn't know this was on the Amazon UK uh, page. So (laughs) with that being said, let's wrap up the show here. 
uh, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Paul at Ohi Paul. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier. You can follow me at Mike Rapid, and you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at IRCB Podcast. I've been trying to do more stuff with Instagram stories, so make sure you follow us there and answer all of my weird questions um, where I zing everybody for their comic book picks for the week. This show and our many subscriber-only episodes are powered by fans like you on Patreon. If you want to find out more about that and subscribe to those exclusive subscriber-only episodes, join us now at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. And if you haven't already, please rate and review the show. I think five stars would be a good rating, but that's just me. And Mike might, two years down the road, read your review on air. You never know. <laughs> you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join us on Discord at ircbpodcast.com slash Discord and make sure to tell a friend or two about the show. Uh, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Uh, Xander is a great editor. He's a he's a good friend, just a nice person to talk to, and he edits the show. Uh, I want to say thank you to Paul and Kate for being on this episode. Thank you to Brian and Danny for hanging out with us in the Discord chat, and thank you to everyone out there who listens to the show and writes reviews. Honestly, I, I'm so sorry that we haven't gotten to them in forever. I'm going to try to check that more regularly. Um, and until next time, remember that comics are good, and so are you. <laughs> <laughs>